Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode, my guest is Craig Conley. Craig, who is affectionately known as Wee Man, has caddied on the PGA Tour and the European Tour for golfers including Paul Casey, Colin Montgomery, Martin Keimer, and Brendan Grace. In the podcast you're about to hear, Wee Man and I talk about how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting caddies, the pressures that come with being a caddy in a major championship and in the Ryder Cup, and which events he looks forward to the most. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So thanks and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. My good buddy, Craig Conley from across the pond. Craig, where are you right now? I'm back home in Glasgow, Dave. Excellent. Well, tell you what, as, as if this whole situation right now with coronavirus and the lack of golf and the lack of sport and, and just this awful pandemic which is around the world is not ridiculous enough and terrible enough. It's snowing here right now in Connecticut. So um, Mother Nature is basically laughing in our face as, as this goes on. It's after St. Patrick's Day. I would ordinarily be trying to sneak in a round of golf, and honestly, there's a coating of white snow that has fallen uh, here in Connecticut at this point. How is everything going in Glasgow? How are you guys doing? We're doing, we're, we're doing well. Um, obviously, just speaking for myself, uh, my partner Jane and, and our little 10-month-old, uh, we're doing great. Um, actually, the weekend was absolutely gorgeous here. It was about 12 degrees, which if you're familiar with Scottish weather, that's almost... A rarity. Well, it's, it's a rarity. It's, it's almost like summer. So um, you talk about Mother Nature laughing in her face. You know, yesterday, 12 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, and you're stuck indoors. Um Fortunate where we've got the we've got the front yard, the backyard, so we can get out um, yeah. and at least get some fresh air. For those of you playing at home who want to convert that Celsius real quick into Fahrenheit for us here in the United States, it's about fifty-five or fifty-seven degrees. There you uh, go. Fair, there Fahrenheit. You go. I always remember. It's funny. There, there was a ridiculous movie, um, the Bob and Doug McKenzie skit from from CSTV. I forget the name of the movie where they were converting beer from. Uh, conventional or imperial numbers into metric, and they said, "Well, all you have to do is take the number, double it, and then add thirty to get to metric." So if you have eight degrees, double the sixteen, add thirty, gets you to forty-six. And the guy's like, "Well, if we take a six-pack and we double it, and then add thirty, that gives us forty-two metric beers." And the, and the other guy's like, "Count me in for the metric system, eh?" <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I always go through this like little conversion in my head about how to convert to to, to that stuff. So. Um, for the people who may not know, Craig Conley is affectionately known as Wee Man out on the PGA Tour as well as the European Tour. You've caddied for a bunch of big-time players. You've won major championships with players. Talk to us about how you got started becoming a professional caddy. When, when did you start and how did you get into it? Well, we'll use that term very loosely, professional. I started, <laughs> um, our school system is obviously a little bit different here. You do seven years of primary school, then you, then you, you, you go to high school. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do four years, five years, or six years. Um, I went through all of high school. So when I left school at the age of 18, um, April 1995, 
Uh, I, I was caddying at Loch Lomond Golf Club, which used to be the home of the Scottish Open. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, it, only, it was only opened in maybe a couple of years. Uh, it was owned by a wealthy American by the name of Lyle Anderson. Uh, also so owns a, a bunch of properties in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. Superstition Phoenix, Mountain was yeah, his. And, in Troon and, North and stuff like that. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, so I was, um, I was caddying there in the summer and then I was supposed to go to, to college, uh, in the summer of, or after the summer of 95, uh, that's not a song by the way, that's just my own lyrics. It sounds uh, like something by the Eagles or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'd find it's actually Brian Adams. No, is it? Oh, that's, so oh, that was the summer of 69. Yeah. Brian Adams. Yeah, exactly. Which, was... which will... We were supposed to go and see him in Saudi uh, oh. at, the, the, at the Saudi event uh, just a few weeks ago. But anyway, I digress. So, um, so in '95, I stayed. I, I, I carried there until until it closed in October. And made a bunch of money. Um, I couldn't have made that type of money being an 18 year old mm. and, and, and doing work through the summer. Yep. So I was flush, as they say. And then it started back up again. The program started back up in March, um, and I had joined the service staff team uh, and carried uh, on my days off. And then a buddy of mine uh, who lived locally here in Glasgow was playing golf with a um, a well-renowned uh, female amateur golfer by the name of Belle Robertson. Okay. And she had a little um, uh, uh, protege in the name of Myra McKinley. She was looking for a caddy to go and to start caddying for her in the Ladies European Tour. So two weeks shy of my 19th birthday in April 1996, I went down to, to Wales to caddy in the Ladies Welsh Open, and the rest is history. That was 1996, and here we are in 2020, and I'm still caddy. So when you show up at that first tournament, do you have any idea like, what you're doing? It's one thing to, to, to caddy on a golf course that you have walked you know, scores of times. You know, if you're at Loch Lomond yeah. and you've walked it again and again and again, you've seen all the putts. You understand the lines. When well, you when you go out there yeah, for the first time on the Ladies European Tour, these are new courses to you, right? It, yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I, I carried whilst I was carrying at Loch Lomond, um, I carried for uh, buddies of mine or, 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 or pros at Loch Lomond that were playing in you know local PGA Tour events. Or sorry, not PGA, PGA uh, Pro local PGA okay. uh, Pro events. So I, I, I carried a few 36 holes, 72 hole events. So I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, but as far as caddy etiquette, you know, raking someone else's bunker, cleaning someone else's ball, that was all new to me. But I remember there's a guy, uh, Mikey Patterson, who who carried for Caddy Webb for a long, long time. And he was carrying for a girl called Joanne Morley. And he said to me two or three weeks after that, once I was getting to know people, that... Um, he thought he was going to carry. He was out with another two two players, and he thought he was going to have to carry for the three girls because he looked at this young lad, myself, didn't think I had a clue what I was doing. <laughs> but he said I was really impressed by you, and for some reason it's always stuck with me. And Mikey's a good friend of mine to, to this day, um, so I guess I had some idea of what to do. But um, you know, as I said, caddy etiquette, cleaning someone's ball when they're in the bunker, raking the other bunker whilst he's reading the putt, um, and and just that kind of standing. At the right place, yeah. so, but it was great. You, you asked me, you know, when did I start professionally? But 
Um, so I was out there for a couple of years, and then in '97 uh, I get a chance to to go to the States and carry on the LPGA, and I'm still using that term loosely professionally because I was I was barely 20 years of age, um, still too young to buy alcohol in the US, but that still didn't stop me. Um, getting smuggled into bars, yeah. Uh, so and I couldn't rent a car. Um, so it was, it was just, it was great. It was like a busman's holiday, you know. Yeah. Uh, you get, you get paid in cash at the start of the week, and that got you through the week. You know, three and four to a room. It was just, it, it was, it was, it was like a different great time. time. I mean, it's I one of those things. It's, it sounds yeah. like when guys tell me stories about when they were ski bums, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, when they would, you know, everybody would head out to to the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. and they would go to Aspen or Vail or they'd go to all these different resorts that had amazing skiing and they would have awful jobs making almost no money but they were able to put together enough money to get the season pass so they could do all these things sleep five and six guys in awful apartments and it's it looking back on it a lot of these people and I know a couple guys who did it it was the best part of their lives they look back on that now and they just love every minute of it how in some ways terrifying but in some ways simple it was and just the pure joy of it. And, and it's there's a romanticism almost about that because caddying, as you know now, certainly on the PGA Tour, and I'm assuming it's the same thing on the European Tour, and most of it, it's, it's, it's proper business. Things have changed a lot over the last couple of decades. As money and purses have gone up, the the caddying, bumming around kind of thing has really gone to, to the wayside, I would assume. Well, absolutely. You can't, you can't get away with it. There's no way that you can, that you can go here. Well, certainly, you know, I'm 40... I'll be forty three in April. My body, my my body just can't take the the abuse that that a twenty year old can, can can go through. Yep. Um, and feeling like crap in the morning, David. It's just the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> so, um, I'm listen to to come into as a as a say as a twenty year old now to come into caddy. Um, you're very very lucky. Um, oh yeah. Because of the money that's available, you know you. You carry a guy, if you're fortunate enough to carry for a guy in the PGA Tour, let's take the PGA Tour, sure. and you make your card, you keep your card, you've made, obviously the money's not, it's all done on, on FedEx points now, but it roughly works out to be about a million a year um, to keep your card. Now, as a caddy with your weekly wage and your percentage, you know, it, it's a six-figure job. Yeah. It is absolutely incredible. Guys study their whole lives to be, you know, not their whole lives, but they study hard at university to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, um, to be something. And that money is just not there for them until you go into your own practice and, and, and whatever. But as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, to, to earn that type of money, it is, it is fantastic. Um, but there's no way um, these young the young kids that are doing it now um, could ever do what we did back in yeah. uh Certainly, back in the nineties and early part of the two thousands, on the on the on the LPGA, you know, there's you wouldn't get away with it. You turn up, and if a guy smells alcohol in your breath, they're going to they're going to look at you. You, you might get away with it once, yeah, but not but twice. Like, no, know, I, I agree. I think that your, your responsibilities, your responsibilities to your players, business. they're huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you and you know the way the way these young guns act nowadays, how professional they are, the way they work out, the way they look after themselves. To to get a slice of that action, to get a piece of the pie, the least you can do is is stay out of the pub, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So listen, so you bring up so the money and the way that caddying has changed these days. 
unfortunately, with everybody sort of being homebound, ideally homebound, and again, if you're listening to this, please stay safe, everybody out there. A lot of pros are taking to social media and showing workout routines and practice routines. Luke Donald's been out there giving short game tips to people who've been reaching out to him through social media. Guys like him and McElroy and Billy Horschel, Brooks Kepka has been doing stuff. They, they've got millions. They, they don't have to worry about money. But in a lot of different ways, I was thinking about caddies out there. Your income comes from the players that you're bagging for. Um, in this case, now you've been with Brendan Grace, if I'm not mistaken, for uh, a little over a year now, if it's not the case. You were with Martin Keimer before well, that and Paul Casey. Who are you caring um, for and when? What, what do you do when you don't know when your next bag is going to be? Actually, David, back with Martin started the started the uh, Brandon and I split up um, at the end of last year. Yep, and I'm now back with the uh, back with the Dirk Heimer. You, you, so the band is back to together. You see, this is the thing. The but band, like, the, the fluidity of the job just like sort of lends itself to the fact that I would imagine like a lot of guys don't know necessarily where the next thing is. What what are guys doing these days? Like, what's what's happening with with guys who? Are in this period where they have you talked to anybody about what their situations are without getting overly personal? Um, I haven't really. Um, just you know, obviously, I'm in a few WhatsApp group chats uh, with a lot of the guys, yep. um, and I haven't really get into it as you know. I'm sure the the big guys that are struggling, um, quite fortunate with you know who I've carried for yes. um, the career I've had so far. It's been very rewarding, um, and obviously get off to a, a decent start to the year with. Uh, you know, an eighth, an eighth place in Abu Dhabi uh, and a couple of top 15. So, um, decent start of the year. Sure. Um, so, it keeps the wolves in the door. Um, but obviously, there's, there's, you know, for every, you know, you're talking to me that um, I've been very fortunate to have carried, um, you know, when, we go, when I went from the LPGA to, to, to the PGA Tour in 2004 and started carrying for Paul Casey. Yep. From Paul, I went to work with, with uh, Colin Montgomery and then back to Paul and then Martin, back to Paul, then Martin, Brandon, and then back to Martin. You know, all those names are, are established players. These, these are all, well, I was going to say, these are all really, top really, 50, top 60 guys. Yeah, they yeah. make a lot of cuts, you know, which means that you're getting a lot of paychecks. Correct, correct. But for, for, for every person like me, there's, there's other guys that, that carry for guys that, that, that are struggling to keep their card, that miss right. cuts every week, and they're, they're earning, you know, the only money they're earning is their wage. Now, that wage, I'm going to say, would struggle to cover your cost at yeah. home and on the road. So I, I, I can, well, I, I know that guys are struggling. Um, let me ask and they you, just want. Let me ask you this, Wee Man. So, again, like, I don't mean to be overly personal, but you here in the United States, health insurance and healthcare is an expensive proposition and yeah. many caddies who are going to be based here in the U S I don't know what they do necessarily for health insurance. What, what goes on for the most part in the European tour? Because I know there'll be a lot of national healthcare systems that would well, take care of everybody, but I don't know exactly how that works. Well, very, very fortunate um, to have the NHS here and the national health service, mm -hmm. which obviously now is like most healthcare systems, whether it be, um, uh, you know, we were talking off air there about, you know, New York. It's stretched. Yeah. The health service is stretched the to the absolute max. There's only so many, you know, intensive care isolation beds that they have or, or whatever. Um, so it's it really is stretched. But we're very, very fortunate here to have that service where, you know, if there's anything wrong, you go to the hospital and it gets fixed. 
and we don't get a bill at the end of it, you know, and they don't ask for your, your insurance card before. Can you can you afford to get your leg amputated? Can you afford huh. for this oxygen tank? Yeah. You know, the service is there, and that's there through the taxes that you pay. Um, so extremely, extremely lucky to, to live in a society where um, the healthcare is, is, is free, um, so nobody's turned away. Yep, um, that's great. It, it, it really is. It really is. Um, Regardless of what people, exception, people's you know, pol- whatever people's politics are, no one should have to worry about whether they're getting medicine, whether they live or die, no, whether, whether they, yeah, they I mean, pay it, for it, it or not. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean it's it's absolutely ludicrous. You hear some stories and um, about people being turned away and asking for your, your your insurance card before before you can get an operation, before you can get medicine. Um, it really is. It's heartbreaking. Um, but it's, I'm sure. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, I, David, I, I've got no idea what it's like to 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 have to pay, um, you know, um, health insurance. Um, growing well, up here. Yeah, I mean, it's you not know, the most I, cheerful I, I, cheerful stuff to sort of talk about, but I mean, I can tell you that I had a relatively minor knee surgery last May before the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and it was you know pretty lickety split. I was actually only unconscious for about forty minutes, so it was it was minor, and I was walking around a little uncomfortably but but two or three days later went to pebble beach was able to to get everything done that i needed to be to do and and it was fine um and yeah i pay and my wife pays a lot of money for our health insurance um out of every paycheck and it was still cost me a couple thousand bucks you know for for my portion of of that so with all these different things going on it will be really fascinating to see how the united states as well as other countries take a look at national healthcare systems, private healthcare systems, whatever it's going to be, because we're going to come out of this, hopefully as many people as we can, healthy and well, but then we're going to look and we need to learn some things from how all this is working out and taking care of each other, making sure that people don't have to make decisions about their health based exclusively on whether they, can afford, it. Yeah. Exactly. Whether they can afford it or not. No one should have to do that kind of stuff. Um, Let's talk a little bit about golf. I got to pick your brain here because I know that you know you somehow or another you went from this position. Now you've you've got this haughty toddy job I hear on Sky on uh, on Sky TV over there. You know, covering off some other events that, that you're going to have to get to in a little while. But you have um you have stepped in a couple of big piles of Christmas when it comes to caddying. The way that I see it, you and Martin Keimer <laughs> together won in 2010 the PGA Championship at Whistling Straits. 2014 was quite a year. You win the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. Um, you guys won a U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Um, things were really good. I want to ask you a little bit about Pinehurst because I was there, and that was an example of somebody not named Tiger Woods who put on a performance that was pretty pretty class stuff, as you guys would say. That was He was as locked in that week at Pinehurst on a really hard golf course as just about anybody that I've seen. From a caddy perspective, what do you do to keep your man sort of in that groove and in that flow without getting in his way? How do you play that? <laughs> Staying out his way. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, you know, Pinehurst was uh, it was phenomenal. Um, I mean, it was, it was sheer brilliance um, from start to finish. Uh, Martin's concentration levels... Um, we're just through the roof. Uh, he's, it's funny, uh, David, because at the start, not so much at the start of the week, obviously get into that week, 
uh, fully confidence from you mm-hmm. know six weeks ago. He'd, he'd, the previous uh, six weeks, he had won the Players' Championship. But Tim Barter from Sky Sports Golf uh, managed to grab him just as we came off the 18th, and he, he asked um, just you know a couple of quick questions. What kind of score do you think? Um, and I thought Martin was going to say something about level par, you know, one under level par, one over, which sure, would have been a fantastic, yeah, fantastic score. For a golf course, we'd never seen the lights off before because that was obviously there in 2005 where it was lush and, and now it's just just golden. Mm. Um, it's burnt out, it's hard, it's fast. You've got all that sand and waste areas, so or natural areas or whatever it's called. Um, and Martin said to Tim, Six over par will be a good score, and I thought, oh jeez, uh, this is this this is talking this is coming from a guy who is, you know, quite confident, and he said six over, and I th- if he'd said four over, I would have thought right, okay, that's one over every, that's one over around, that's that, again that's acceptable. Yeah, I said six over. I said six <laughs> over, six over. I said we're busy packing our bags just now. Um, and obviously, I was saying that uh, jokingly. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, and then that night, um, it rained, and Martin took advantage of the of the softer conditions. I remember. Uh, and to shoot, to shoot, you know, back, he shot sixty five five under the first day, and then went into the press and said, you know, don't expect me to do that again. And what did he do? He did it again. Behold, yeah, he goes out and opens you know, sixty five five. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm trying to think of things to do around the house, so I'm, I was doing a bit of ironing. Linen, uh, linen. I was ironing bed linen yesterday, and I had. Uh, I, I, um, I went on YouTube and I, I watched the, the the final round. Um, it's funny because they kept saying, and I guess it's just they have. To, it's obviously Johnny Miller and some of the BS that he's come out with over the over the past, and now Easinger seems to be doing it now. Um, you know, he's hanging in there. He's hanging in there. The final day, and I thought he's playing. But well, he played as well, if not better, than ninety-five percent of the field on that final day as well. And they kept saying he's hanging in there. And Martin chose not to chip um, from off the green. In, in many in once. many cases, right? He's putting, and they were they kept he's commenting put, yeah, on that on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I think Roger Maltby was right. He was correct and in a couple of instances that the chip was definitely the way forward. But Martin didn't. He felt really confident with the putter, and he didn't have the confidence with the wedge, so he chose to putt. And I remember on the on the sixth, no, seventh, the seventh hole, uh, we putted round the bunker because we took, you know, we could afford to, to to make a few bogeys. Yeah. Um, and he said, "Do you know what? I'm just taking double out here. I'm if I put it today, I'll leave myself 15, 20 feet, try to make it for par. If I can, it's only a bogey, and bogeys are never bad." Especially on the golf in the US Open and especially on the golf course like Pinehurst. Agreed. So, and on this um, on the Saturday, the Saturday, I went there every morning. I walked the golf course before we played, um, and I went out on Saturday. Um, he said, "Have you seen the pins?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, eighty-five percent of, of the of the the holes were cut on the left-hand side of the of the green, which Martin obviously is a well-known. Fader of the golf ball, so trying to get to left-hand pins was was very challenging. And he stuck to his guns the whole day. And we shot two over. We boarded the last, which was huge, um, to take that five-shot lead into the into the final round. But he 
the golf course was set up in a way where it was set up to attack because the USGA felt that Martin, I feel that the USGA felt that Martin was running away with it. So the final day, they put a couple of tees forward. You know, the par threes were, were wedges. The par fives are all reachable. So Martin went, fair enough, if that's the way you're going to play it, then I'm going to play the same way. And he's he, he onto that, that second hole, sorry, the third hole, and drove the green. And then the rest from there on in was 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 just, you know, pure golf. So that 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 week is a is a standout and definitely the, the highlight of, of, of my caddying career. It's interesting you say that because you've had, as I sort of mentioned, you've you've been on multiple major championships, players championship. You've also been involved with Ryder Cup. How is the pressure of being a caddy for a player during the Ryder Cup different than being a caddy for a guy who's contending for a major? Well, you know, um, as a caddy in the Ryder Cup, it's there's not as much pressure on you um, until the singles because it's then it's just you two doing your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the singles is the one where it's just about you and, and, and the guy you're working for just going out and doing what you do and what you do week in, week out, day after day. But for the the team event, you know, the first two days, four balls and foursomes, you know, the, the, the player, especially someone like Martin, and, you know, obviously I've carried for Martin and Paul at these events, they don't want to let their partner down. And I think that's the biggest pressure. It's not... They, Agreed. Is they don't want to... Yeah, they don't want to let them down. You don't want to be so the they try it a little bit. Yeah, um... But as, as far as caddying goes, when you're in that team event, you know, you've got four four guys um, and the caddying's pretty much the... the you, I would say you do less... Obviously, you do less caddying uh, in the four balls and uh, foursomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the player, the two players would come together. You know, the, the, the playing partners would come together um, and they would do most of the work. So... That's what that's that's how I feel anyway. Is that you're not into it as much as you would be if it was um, a regular event uh, until the singles, and the pressure definitely comes from the player um, because as a caddy, you're only doing there's no there's no pressure because you're doing your job, and mm-hmm. um, the pressure comes from the player wanting to not wanting to let that other person down. When you're caddying, are you nervous? I mean, we see we see athletes in all types of sports show nervousness uh, and nerves and such like that in ways. But you're not you 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 keep saying that you know you're you're doing your job and and this is sort of the role that you need to do. Part of that is to help the player select yardages and distance and how are we going to sort of navigate our way yeah, around managing the course. But also, think, it's, it's also handling the the player's nerves. You have to be an armchair psychologist for these guys to put them mentally in a place where they can execute. You're not hitting the shot. But you can have a large sway in what shots they try and do, how they feel over the ball, which I would yeah, imagine yeah. puts puts pressure on you too. Well, you're not. I think the nerves would come uh, beforehand, maybe you know the night before or leading up to that first tee shot. But as soon as that first tee shot is um, is hit, then you are doing your job, and it's almost autopilot. Okay. You know, uh, it's certainly not cruise control. But it is autopilot where you're just you're just in the zone and you're doing your work. Um, 
you can't get too far ahead of yourself. You know, the first hole, thinking about you know, thinking about winning the tournament, thinking about what comes with that win, um, the financial uh, rewards at the end of it. You can't you can't think like that. Mm-hmm. You've just got to take it. And as it's cliched and it's 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 BS as well, you know. Um, but it really is one shot at a time and taking care of business one shot at a time. It's all you can do. And if you start to, if you let your mind wander, um, or you succumb to the nerves, then it's. I think it really is game over. Sure, you can you can make a wrong decision, um, but you've got to be free in your mind to make that decision. Um, it can be clouded by, you know, uh, oh if if I if I get this wrong, like he's going to fall, he's going to he's going to slip down the leaderboard, and you know he might bring you know he, he might lead to other bogeys. It might you know you, you yeah. can't think like that. You just you have a number, you, you've got a number in front of you. Um, you've got a you've got a number that you think that that, that shot's playing. Um, do you want to go for the flag stick or do you want to just keep it under the hole and a little bit right of it? Um, and, and picking your moments when you can you can be aggressive to to to, to, to the to the hole. Mm-hmm. So it's it really is just one at a time and 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 doing your job. So one of the things about social media that I think has been really interesting, and I think it opened a lot of people's eyes, was, I forget which Ryder Cup it was, but but Ian Poulter was putting some photographs up on Instagram from the player party on Sunday evening. And you would expect the other European players to be in the photographs, and they were, and the wives and girlfriends were there, and they were. And then the American team starts getting in, and you see guys arm in arm. And I remember a picture with he, and I believe it was Bubba Watson, laughing and joking and, and such like that. Bubba doesn't drink. I don't think he's ever touched, he said, a drop of alcohol in his life, but having a great time. Everybody's celebrating. And the two teams sort of come together. And I think a lot of people would have seen or would have assumed that there was maybe not animosity, but but that, there, that the rivalry sort of held on for a long time, that the two teams were sort of separate during the competition. We get that. and Every... There's what, but, every... but there's a lot more of that that goes on behind the scenes than people realize, isn't there? Well, week in, week out, we're playing with these guys, you know, everybody's, they're all mates, they all live, they all congregate around West Palm Beach area, you know, so they're all members of the same golf club. Right. Um, they, practice, they share the same practice facilities, they share the same coaches, the same, you know, yep. whether it be your swing coach, putting coach, mind guru, whatever it is, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a travelling, it's a travelling show on the PGA Tour mm-hmm. and both, you know, both European Tours and, and, and PGA Tours, so Everybody does. Everybody get along? No. The people not like one another. Well, yeah, you get that you at know, every people, office. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, you, you know, they're, you have coworkers you who can you know, work professionally, but not office be best politics, buddies. Right. You know, it's it's all you know, and then it's I'm saying office politics, but it's more like playground <laughs> scuffles, you know. Yep. So, um, but every every Ryder Cup, bar one, it's been it's been parties at both team rooms, you know, come yep. in and then it's at the end of it, yeah, we'll be disappointed we lost. Absolutely. Yeah. Bar, but, bar one, which one was that? Well, you, you don't think you have to think too, do you? <laughs> Would you know? Someone said it was a miracle. Uh, Someone yeah, said I, it was I, a... I, I mean, the, the tea party comes to mind, I would imagine. Um, but it's... Well, yeah, that was but that was before my time. I'm, I'm talking about from my own experience and Medina, they couldn't um, well, yeah, that, I, 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 as an American, it's it's so funny. I mean, we we try and be impartial, and there there have been a whole sort of dust up about um, 
journalists and golf writers being fans of players and fans of this. And 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 by and large, I, I mean I, I support different players. I I'm friends with some guys, other people I just cover professionally. More often than not, writers sort of cheer for the storyline because the conceited people that we are, we want more and more people to read our stuff. And if the stars and the big theater sort of kicks in, then more people are going to read and, and that sort of conflates our own egos and such like that. They read for the story. That was brutal. I remember waking up thinking, oh, wow. And, and throughout different parts of the day, um, there was excellent sportsmanship, I thought, on on the part of both players and teams and, and, and everything was good. And then things just started going a different way and a different route. And it was a brilliant performance by the European team. I, I can't remember a day when one team made more putts than the European team did. When Justin Rose, gosh, that putt was what, 60 or 70 feet that he'd made like on 17? Mickelson? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just but, a well, bomb. But yeah, but look at Mickelson. Mickelson standing at the, the back of the green, giving him the thumbs up, saying, fantastic. And it was. This is some game. Which yeah, is, which is great, which is, which is fantastic. What, how much did the caddies sort of get in with that as well? Because as I was sort of mentioning, you know, that there's a lot more really good camaraderie and friendship, you know, once the, the matches are over and things like that. But but I would imagine, do, do the caddies sort of do it as well? When your guys are out there, if you see Mark Wood, who is is caddying uh, for Matt Kuchar, for example, and you guys are in Johnny, the match. John Wood. John, John? I'm part of me. Pardon me. Do you guys just sort of keep on like it was like it was a regular Friday or Saturday at a PGA Tour event or European Tour event or is there a, a different kind of an uh, etiquette no, in those events? Yeah. You stick, you stick to your crowd and I'll stick to my crowd. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you just, you can have a laugh and a joke. Depends how, depends, depends on the relationship you have with your player as well. Yeah. You know, okay. if, 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 you, if you guys are really tight and, you know, you're taking it personally, then, then obviously you're not going to, you know that with the enemy. conversation yeah, is going to be it. absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be zilch today. You know this. These two are in it for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're right into this. So the days the, the day for us chatting and saying, you know, ha, blah blah blah. What do you think of this? This is great. Yeah, fantastic. It's been a great atmosphere. That's some match. Yeah, you're not going to get anything out of them. Yeah. So I think you just have to read the situation. Um, but for the most part, again, you know, like the players, it's a travelling show. So. Everybody, does everybody get on? No, but we're, we're around each other every single day. Yeah. So, and you can't take it personally because at the end of the day, it's just golf. It's, it's that's a great thing that sport. I think people and, and are going to get it. What, what, yeah, exactly. It's all well, sport. What's, what, yeah. And what's, what's happening in the world today, we're realizing that, do you know what? It is important because a lot of guys, you know, it's the livelihoods of a lot of people. Um, but it is just sport, and after this, sport can bring us together. But right now, you know, I'm, I've I've got uh, Sky Sports News on in the background there, and they're talking about the you know the, the football, the soccer here. Mm-hmm. Um, when will it be back? Well, it's going to be back when the world is is in a better place. Is done with this is is in a much yeah is in a much better place, and it doesn't matter what, what's. Yeah. Anything else doesn't matter right now. I was hearing somebody, I forget what podcast it was. It wasn't my idea because it was way too good. It's we're, we're getting much better right now at realizing wants and needs. There are certain things that we need to do. And right now, some of those things that we need to do are not necessarily fun and we don't enjoy them. There are other things that we want to do. And I think that we're all going to come out of this appreciating the things that we want to do when we can do them a lot more. I will appreciate 
being around my friends and, and people outside of just my immediate family, my wife and my two kids here, um, being able to flip on a game on television, being able to do these. And it sounds in some ways kind of corny, but but I think that we're all going to gain a greater appreciation for the things that we never thought of before. Being able to get in the car and go to the movie theater and watch and do things like that. Being able to just gather. We're, we're going to gain a deeper appreciation for that stuff. Um, when it's safe to do it. Hey, what's your favorite event to work as a caddy? What's the one that you, one or two that you circle on your calendar every year and really are hoping that your man is either qualified for the event or is choosing to play it? Where do you like to caddy the most? Augusta. I used to hate it. When I first went there, I thought, yeah, when I first went there, I thought, do you know what? Can't be doing with this place. Can't be doing with it. Can't see what it does to players, how it warps their mind. Um, Hmm. But ever since, I guess it's just, um, just through experience of being there so many times. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing what you need to do, or I never carry for any round there that's won it, so I don't know what it takes to win. But you've got a good idea and how you want to play it, yep. or how it should be played, and the facilities for the carries. Second to none, it really is. You know, most of the players now um, are eating and hanging out at the. Uh, well, they've got that new facility the, on the side of the range for you guys. Yeah, that, that looks like yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing. The food's fantastic. Um, you know, the, the way we get treated, it's just it really is great. And you know, there's maybe six six or eight members that. Year after year, they're the only guys on the range, and that's their job for the week. Yep, and they love it too, you know. So um, for me, it's a, it's the best week, and I always, I always wish that. Um, sorry, I'm moving a chair, David. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's good, good. just just go with I, it these days, man. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I always wish that I was going there for one week because I would pack, I would go there with hand luggage, not even hand luggage. Just a pair of shorts, a pair of gym shorts, second pair of underwear, <laughs> t-shirt, and off you go. Because you don't need anything. We stay in a house. We don't move from the house. That's that's a twenty-minute walk from the golf course, mm-hmm. and that that's a rarity. That is a rarity in the US. Is yes. walking, you know, walking to work. You know, um, usually you have to go in a car. You've got to drive fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever it is, from your hotel. So. The whole vibe of the place, it's just, it's great. And it's, it's, it's unlike any golf tournament. There's no, there's no silly. Well, there's no corporate signages. There's, there's no corporate chalets or villages. It's, it's the golf course. It's the clubhouse. And that's pretty much it. You have to go out and seek signage. You have to go out and look for things. They've done such a wonderful job of hiding, for example, concession stands. And there are plenty of them. But you don't ever see them on television, and you actually have to sort of know a little bit where they are because they're yeah. so hidden into the background. And it's cheap. It's you really know, cheap. people yeah. think um, it really is. And for me, it's just it's the best week. I, I absolutely love it. it. It probably took me a long time to to. Was there to a sit, was, was was there a, a particular year or tournament or something that happened that that changed your mind about Augusta National, or is it just? Over the years, it's slowly grown on you. I think just, I think just over the years, um, 
you know, and it's it's disappointing to see this, but you know, making the cut with Martin is is a challenge because it's a golf course that he loves he, a draw. He, he just can't, he, yeah, but he, but it doesn't. He loves it. He absolutely loves it, and it just it, it just it gets in his mind and it challenges him that he's it challenges it challenges him in a way that that he he's got the answers, but he just he can't get the answers out. Mm. And it's 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 it, it, for me it, it's fantastic. Is that frustrating um, for you as a caddy, knowing that your player is capable of hitting the shots and of capable of doing what he needs to do, but yet here's another year, or for whatever reason, he he hasn't been able to do it yet. That has to be frustrating for you too. I'm sure it's it frustrating is, for him. It is <laughs> exactly. So it doesn't matter how frustrating it is for me. Can you imagine what it's like for for, for sure. him? Yeah. So it is. It is, but. You know, you—he's not trying to make the mistake. He's not trying to, to, to ruin it for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, one day he'll get there. One day he will master it, and the light bulb will go off. Or go on. He will. Ah, now I got I it. See, that's how you, <laughs> now I got it. Now I got it. What's the most so, challenging golf course that you uh, that you caddy on on a regular basis? Augusta. Same thing. Yeah. Augusta. Do you keep do Same you keep thing. your own yardage you know, book and that filed with with your notes or does does Martin keep it? Who are there multiple ones that are each of you carries your own? What, do you have the old ones? Yeah, I keep I keep the, I keep I keep every yardage book. Um, I don't know where they are right enough, but um, for the masters, <laughs> you don't yeah, need because, them right now. It's fine. <laughs> um, you know, for Augusta, um, yeah, there's always things that you can. That you could put in the book, you know that. Part. Mm-hmm. You, you know where the you know where the the whole locations are going to be. You know that yeah. from, from 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 the off. Yep. Um. So you know which way the putt breaks, and it's you, you write it in your book that it doesn't move that much, you know, and um, what the shot plays uphill. Um. So yeah, it's it's your your good areas, your bad areas. Um, and you just transfer that into the the the, the new book that you get that year. Would the use of lasers help you guys expedite play or change the way that you would go about doing your job? Or do you think that that lasers and, and rangefinders and such like that really shouldn't be used at the most elite levels? Uh, I mean, I know you guys go out there in practice rounds and you'll zap a couple things and maybe take some notes or whatever. But it seems to me that, that slow play, which... You know, it doesn't seem to be that big of a of an issue when you think the grand scheme of things right now. But slow play has been an issue now for the past several years, and I think there is a, an idea out there that if if laser rangefinders were were allowed to be used in tournament play, even at the most elite levels, that it could help to expedite the competition and keep keep players moving. I, Would you agree with that, or yeah, where do you stand? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because there's, there's going to be a way to slow it down anyway. Someone will always find a way to slow down, you know. It's um, for me just having a having a, a laser when you're offline, and the angles change dramatically. You know, if if if, the, if it's a dog leg right to left, and you've hit it so far left, and the green and the pin is cut on the left hand side, then the the hole the pin's not going to be in that seventeen four left. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more like you know, depending on how much of the angle you cut off, it can be as much as five or six less, you know, just depending. And I think that's when 
Um, that's when you'd like to use your laser. But for me, the yardage book's got so much information in it that you don't have to walk very far to, to find a sprinkler, to find a tree or to find the edge of the bunker mm-hmm. or a control valve. It's it's there. Um, so I don't know if it would make much difference at, uh, at professional level. I don't know. I really don't know, David. Would you? Um, um, how do you prepare differently or what do you do differently with Martin when you know you're paired with somebody who is has a reputation for being a slow player? Do you physically walk slower? Do you carry on different conversations? Or is it something that you just know, look, we're going to be standing around here at several points during the, the mound. Martin's a pro. Um, he, he knows how to comport himself. Do you, how, how do you strategize for that? Strategize? I'm really unsure about that. Uh, we would... There's a few... You know, Martin, we would say at the start of the day, you know, there's a good chance we're going to be on the clock here, so let's just have our wits about us, you know, make sure that we're not... Be ready when it happens, yeah. Ready when it happens. And Martin's, Martin's a, for me, Martin's a, 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 a quick player. Um, it's happened a few times this year already where you're you're on the clock and you just you, you just feel that... You feel, you know, with the officials, where have you, you, where have you been, you yeah. know? And then the whole group goes on the clock and... But now I think that what they're doing now is they're, they're, they're timing your group maybe slow, but they know that the other two guys have got nothing to do with it and it's one particular person that mm-hmm. they will, whereas before they, 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 would, they would time the group, the they're group. going to just right. time one person, which I agree with. Because um, it's, see this not, this not ready, not being ready to play, it's an absolute pain in the ass, David. Oh, There's yeah. no, absolutely no reason when you're third to play, now sometimes there is a, le- a legitimate excuse for not being ready because those everybody. Are, those are one-off know, situations, though. I mean, like if there's two pe- if there's two people in a bunker and out of courtesy, like you have to wait for the other guy to be able to get in and build yourself. Okay, but but those are yeah, those are four or five times out of a hundred. You know that we're talking correct. about here. It's not a big deal. Correct. But there's plenty of guys on on both tours that just start that process when it's their turn. You know, it's it's no. See the guy that's that's last to play. He should be over that ball and almost ready to hit before the second guy, the second guy's balls landed. In my opinion, the, there's no excuse. There's there's nobody who's going to be standing in his way. You've you've if you've got if you're playing threesomes and you're the third to hit, I would assume you've been in position for 45 seconds to a minute, minute and a quarter. Which means you should know the club. You've seen the lie. You you've been able to work it out. Again, there are situations where it, there, there's going to be contemplation, some chatter, but but those are so few and far between where the extra time is warranted. That um, I'm I'm pretty open about slow play during major championships because when you're going in my mind for a little piece of immortality, I'm willing to give the guys a lot more slack at a U.S. Open at an Open Championship, the Massive PGA, because it's to me. It's a bigger deal. It just is. You know, you dream of winning those tournaments, and they're going to be slower. I get it. Pebble Beach is a long walk, um, and it's a slow walk. And we all know that there's going to be a hold up on the 18 green, or excuse me, on a, the 18 tee box. And it's just okay. You you know it's going to be there. Um, but week to week PGA Tour European Tour events. Let's get on with it. There's there's no need to to be doing this. Yeah, but David, see you see you're, you're you're saying that, and I I would agree with you. To a certain extent, mm-hmm. but these regular events could very well be someone's Augusta. 
someone's US Open. That's fair. Because with all due respect, that they might not ever get a chance to play those events. That's fair. So, no, I, I, but I totally understand what you're saying. I, I, I just feel that, that under, we, we have, there, there are certain instances where I understand that a player is going to really need to take more time to get comfortable, to go through whatever process they need to go through before they hit the shot. I get that. Um, but there are many instances where guys could be more prepared or further along that line when it is their turn. I think that you said it best. When If you're the third guy playing and you start that process only after the other two have, have struck their shots, you've not made the best use of your time. Maybe that's a better way to sort of look at well, it. Well, <laughs> for... See for me, see if you, see if there's a rules official close by, and that's the case. I'd find the guy for not being ready. Doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Just be ready. I think it's one of those things where it's an instant. It's, it, it's just a yellow card for stupidity. I'm saying that's a, a, a soccer analogy. Yeah. Just a yellow card for stupidity. I, I, just I may be American, but I know a little ready. about soccer. I mean, I, I get that yeah, part. I, know, but, I, I get that part. I'm sure a few a few of your listeners might might not well, um, you know may not appreciate my analogy. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Well, let you know. Come on. It, and this t- at this time right now, it's all good in my opinion. You 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 know you move your chair, you know turn on the sink, whatever whatever the heck that stuff is. That's all fine in my book. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm domesticated now, David. I, I wouldn't even recognize you. I'm sure I wouldn't even recognize you in the least gonna, if I saw you. You wouldn't? Well, have, have you shaved? Hey, actually, no. <laughs> well, no kidding. I, sorry. I've, I've, I've trimmed. I've, uh, I've okay. uh, trimmed my cheeks and my, my, uh, my neck. But the beard is, uh, is coming along nicely, actually. Oh, You'll be ready now. when ZZ Top hits the road again. You'll be all set. Well, it's funny. You mentioned ZZ, you mentioned ZZ Top there. My way of... Uh, I'm never going to lose weight, David. I've I've I've, I've said that to myself. <laughs> I, I'm I'm too lazy. You're not I'm doing this whole Peloton challenge too thing. Lazy. Yeah, I've got no I've got no willpower at all. But what I do have is I'm going to groom my beard and make it into a little V, so it looks like I've got a nice long thin face. Oh, you're, <laughs> you like you and Crispy Pete. Yeah, you, you, you'll be there out you there go. like you, you guys will just have like a beard off. It'll be fantastic. You just you know <laughs> pack them up in the in the overhead compartment and away you go. We man, listen, I really appreciate you giving me some time. Stay safe. It's really fun to chat Likewise, with you. David. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks really a lot, pal. Enjoyed it. Uh, please, cheers, David. Bye now.